Well, you know, I like to start off with the question off. And so today the question is, what's in your cave? See, without moving into areas where you've never been before, I mean, areas that cause you some fear and anxiety, you're never going to have anything other than what you already have, what you've already experienced. So if you want something other than exactly what you have now, you have to be willing to look into that cave. Go ahead and step inside. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I'm going to be sharing some questions from listeners today who are looking into a cave, not knowing what's coming, but excited about the anticipation. So questions include, Dan, I have a sinking feeling in the pit of my belly and in my heart just thinking about going to work tomorrow morning. You know, it's interesting, though, those phrases, it seems to show up every now and then pretty much the same kind of thing, just a common kind of feeling. Sinking depression in the pit of my belly and in my heart, just thinking about going to work tomorrow morning. Here's another. I have a growing sense that preaching is not my passion. My problem is I don't know what I really want to do. And here's another. I can do this for myself and make more money, but there are always big risk. And then another. Can I make the business I work in now my own without feeling like a betrayal? Okay, our quotation comes today from our friend William Shakespeare, who said in his own eloquent way, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. All right, again, that caution that our doubts may be keeping us from experimenting and experiencing New things that could work to our favor. Well, our resource today, I'm going to make the resource today our peek into what's coming in the 48 Days Eagles community. Now, we've got set up four days of sharing some of the very best content, some of the very best training that we've had available in the Eagles community. If you go to 48days.com slash peak, and that's spelled P-E-A-K, peak, because we want it to be a peak experience for you, a mountaintop experience for you. Four days, it's all free. Just go to 48days.com slash peak right there. We're going to be giving you that content. And also just giving, if you are not yet an Eagles member, kind of an insight into some of the fun things that happen in there. All right, you know these are real questions. And if you submit your question to me and I use it here, I'd be happy to send you a gift as a result of that. Just go to 48days.com slash ask. Dan, I want, to, I want to read to you just a little poem. I was reminded of it this morning. I was out walking, and something reminded me of this. It's an old, old poem by Jesse Rittenhouse, but it kind of relates to some of the things I want to talk about here. And it goes like this. I bargained with life for a penny, and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. Life is a just employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn, dismayed, that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. 
Now, the story I was listening to was Jim Rohn talking about working when he was young. He was just in his early 20s. He had been working for a company for five years, just getting a modest wage. And then he met his mentor, Earl Schoff, who asked him why he was making so little. Jim said that it was all the company paid. But then Earl asked him, what about other people in the company? Wasn't it true that the person in charge of finances made more? The person in shipping made more. The head of sales made more, et cetera, to which Jim, of course, readily agreed. So Earl said, so the company does pay more. They just don't pay you anymore. So the point is, you increase your pay when you increase your value. A lot of people today don't understand that principle. They just want to be paid more because they've hung around for another year or because the economy changed or inflation continues. Well, those are kind of weak reasons for getting paid more. You get more when you provide more value. You get paid for providing value to the marketplace. And Jim Rohn, as he was talking, says, take your seed to the marketplace, not your need. I mean, companies don't care about your need. They don't care about the fact that you just bought a new car, moved into a nicer house, or have another child on the way. That's not what they pay you for. They pay you for value that you provide to them. Now, when I look back in my own life, you know, when I was milking cows, I made a very minimal wage. I was just helping to produce a product, and that tends to not pay a whole lot. Then when I started painting houses for people and doing little improvement projects for people, I made significantly more. So I went from just providing a product to providing a service, a valuable service. But then when I started inspiring people, offering hope and encouragement, I mean, my income increased dramatically. So I've moved from product to service to ideas. Now, you can be in any of those, and if you do really well, you can do well, but that seems to me a pretty clear path, and it certainly was a clear path for me to increase my income dramatically. Now, here's a little story that kind of asks the question about what cave are you looking into. You know, as a little Mennonite kid, I was terrified, yet attracted to trying things that were outside of my current experience at that point. I mean, could I be something other than a farmer? I mean, we had only black cars. Could I really build that red 31 Model A street rod that started my love affair with cars? When I first started teaching college classes as a graduate assistant, I mean, they, they you know, made a, a really appealing offer for me to come to a particular university. I had been accepted in multiple universities for my master's degree. And because of some of the experience that I had, they gave me a teaching assistantship, which was really nice. It eliminated tuition and gave me a monthly income. But having been given that position, I was terrified. I mean, I'm no way to go teach a class. I'd run to the restroom to relieve my stomach nausea every time I was going to a class. I was terrified, but confident that if I could make it through that, other opportunities would appear. I mean, when I first saw Joanne, I wondered, how could I get someone so beautiful to notice a simple farm kid like me? When I started one of my businesses uh, where I was doing auto accessories, I gave an excuse to my first customer because I was too scared to deliver what I had just sold him. 
Now, it's likely each of you have had those things that have had an attraction, but perhaps seem out of reach or too intimidating. So here's, here's a statement from the wisdom of Leonardo da Vinci, who said this, quote, Urged on by my eagerness to see the many varied and strange forms shaped by artful nature, I wandered for some time among the shady rocks and finally came to the entrance of a great cavern. At first I stood before it dumbfounded, knowing nothing of such a thing. Then I bent over with my left hand, braced against my knee and my right, shading my squinting, deep-searching eyes. Again and again I bent over, peering here and there to discern something inside, but the all-embracing darkness revealed nothing. Standing there, I was suddenly struck by two things, fear and longing. Fear of the dark, ominous cavern, longing to see if inside there was something wonderful. End of quote. Now, if, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you are not a normal person. By being a listener, I already know you're willing to go where others are unwilling to go. I mean, that's all we talk about on here. You wouldn't come back unless you were that kind of a person. So my question for you today is, what cave are you peering into right now, seeing nothing but darkness, but confident there's something wonderful inside? So number two then, what other individuals or resources do you need to urge you into that cave? And number three, what examples do you have from your own past that are giving you the courage to attempt this? Okay, now with that set up, again, the questions are, what cave are you peering into right now, seeing nothing but darkness, but confident there's something wonderful inside? Number two, what other individuals or resources do you need to urge you into the cave? And then three, what examples do you have from your own past that are giving you the courage to attempt this? So here's some examples of listeners this week who are looking into their cave. Hi, Dan. This comes from Janice. My younger brother is living his dreams, and I feel pretty terrible because I am not. I don't even know how to begin. I just stumbled across your website because at 1.01 a.m., knowing full well I have to wake up at 7 a.m. to go to work tomorrow, I feel a sinking depression in the pit of my belly and in my heart. It gets heavier every day. Now I'm trying to make up for lost time at the age of 27, trying to start a venture, something I've wanted to do for a while. However, with a massive student loan debt and with my meager salary, I honestly feel trapped. I'm not sure what to do. And I know other graduates probably feel my pain. Is there any hope for us? Is there any room left for entrepreneurs in my circumstances? Where do we start? You know, and again, this is one of those that seems to be a common theme I went to school. I was urged to go to college. Everybody told me I had to go to college, that just going to college, accumulating more knowledge would guarantee higher income. Well, unfortunately, we know that's not true. I mean, we know that right now, colleges are turning out twice the number of graduates for jobs that even require a college degree. And more and more, that's not the case. So unfortunately, and then I talked to, you know, kids who say, gee, I'm working as a freelance writer and it's challenging for me to pay back my student loan debts for the law degree I got. I'm thinking, wow, how did you get in that position? If you went to law school, it should have been pretty clear to you that you wanted to be an attorney and in doing so, 
create the income to repay your student loan debt. Now, I know that we can make new decisions along the way, but a lot of people continue going to school just because it's socially acceptable. I mean, who's going to fault you for that? If you have difficulty getting a job, you just go to graduate school, get an MBA, get a JD, get, get some kind of a professional degree. Nobody's going to fault you for that. Everybody will pat you on the back. And then four years later, you show up with $120,000 in student loan debt, and you really are stuck. Now, you got to figure this out along the way. Now, as to your question, Janice, I I'm, again feel sad that you're in the position that you're in. You want to start a new venture. You're in a job where you're making a meager salary, and you got massive student loan debt. You have to work through that. But if you are starting a new venture, I trust you have the confidence that it's something that's going to create dramatically more income for you. I mean, that's usually why we're attracted to doing something on our own, that and the time freedom, but unlimited income is a big part of it. So just have the confidence that you're doing the right thing. Keep your meager salary job if you need to for, let's say, six months. But in that period of time, you need to be able to build your venture that you're doing on your own where it replaces that income and more. So you can then go on and repay the student loan debt for whatever degree you got that probably doesn't have a lot of connection to what you're doing in your new venture. Now, perhaps it does, but oftentimes it doesn't. It's just there. It's kind of an anchor around your leg. And a lot of people are experiencing that. Be very careful if you're thinking about going to, to school, if you're thinking about borrowing money to go to school. I mean, going to school is fine. I mean, I went and you know, I finished my master's degree and then finished my doctoral study. So it's not that I'm not a believer in it, but it was a personal growth experience more than a career path. And in doing so, I also never accumulated any kind of debt in doing that. I just did it as I was able to do it, look for creative ways to do it, and there are certainly those available. So again, I encourage you, lean into the new venture that you're doing. By all means, lean into that. Be confident that it's going to be your ticket out of the trap that you feel like you're caught in right now. Okay, Brad says, I'm lost. I've been preaching full-time for almost 10 years. I have had a growing sense that it is not my passion, at least not in the way I've been doing it. Actually, I feel I even may be more productive you know, living for the Lord through the business world. Unfortunately, I don't know what to do. I read 48 days and regularly listen to the podcast, but still can't seem to find clarity about my career path. I'm unsure what my passion is. I like having a project put before me to plan and execute. I enjoy collaborating with others. I enjoy speaking and writing. I'm finishing my BS, the major in religion, minor in business. I'm 31, married with three daughters, worried about being able to provide for them as I transition. Any advice you have on finding my passion and transitioning wisely would be appreciated. Well, the fact that you don't have clarity is not unusual, but... At 31 years old, married with three daughters, I am confident you've got enough indicators, enough benchmarks that you can look back and figure out what your passion is. Look back and identify, and I go through this, this process, course, in 48 Days to the Work You Love, which you have. Look at what are your skills and abilities? What are those things not only that you have the ability to do, but you enjoy doing? So identify two or three things that you know really kind of identify you and make you distinctive. And then what are your personality traits? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? 
How do you manage? How do you sell? How do you persuade? I mean, knowing those things about yourself. I mean, that's why I say 85% of the process of having a proper, of having a confidence of proper direction in your career or business comes from looking inward. So look at yourself. What are those things that are unique about you? And in doing that, that ought to help you identify what your passion is. Now, I want to riff a little bit on the word passion because sometimes we get kind of lost in that. We think we ought to be able to go out and sit on a stump in the middle of a field and wait till our passion is revealed. Passion is more developed than it is discovered. I talk about this in my book, Wisdom Meets Passion. It's more developed than discovered. So don't just think that it ought to show up. It comes from doing something. Get engaged in something where you do it, and over time, prove that you can do it with excellence. Passion grows out of being able to do something with excellence. So don't wait, just and, and don't be afraid of pursuing something else. I mean, it comes from learning. Even if you make another redirection along the way, which you're likely to do, that's okay. But lean into something else that you, the indicators are there that you could do it well and that you might enjoy it. So then you discover, is it in fact something that you want to develop into a real passion? All right, this comes from Ted. He says, Dan, I read your 48 Days book. Feel very inspired by it. My problem is I don't know what I really want to do. I'm 38, make good money, but I have a two-hour commute each day, and I want to be closer to my family. The hobbies I enjoy don't seem like they would ever allow me to replicate my current income. I feel trapped and a little discouraged. I would love to know a clear path forward. Hope that you can offer some words of encouragement. I'm not afraid of hard work. I just want something with a flexible schedule that I can be proud to manage. Thanks for all you do, Ted. Okay, well, thanks for your question again, Ted. Again, not knowing what to do, go through the process I just described for the for 31-year-old right before you here, who, again, look at yourself. Look at yourself. There ought to be things, and, and don't mistrust those things that you seem to see as hobbies right now. There's a whole lot of people who have recognized they could take what they most enjoy and lean into that, and it does provide significant income. You can, I mean, they're not going to tell you in college or in high school when you meet with guidance counselor, and they're not going to tell you to be an artist or an author or a singer or a tree carver or a sculptor or a poet. They're going to tell you to do any of those things because all those things typically don't lead to big money. When I say typically, that's true. Well, but the same thing is true, even like with what I do as an author. I mean, we know that 95% of authors in America never make more than $40,000 a year. I mean, that's statistically what we're told. That's not very attractive. But if I look, when I looked at that, when I was told that, I said, okay, but that's what I want to do. So what are the 5% doing to make more than that? All I had to do is look at what most authors do and do things that most authors do not do. So in addition to just having books for sale, I coach around that topic. I do live events. I created other ancillary products. We have courses and seminars and workshops that people can attend. You know, we have live events where people can come there. We're doing these, uh, you know, food for thought dinner luncheons right now that we're having a lot of fun doing. I have a mastermind. We have an online community. Those are all things that most writers don't do. And believe me, a very tiny, tiny portion of my income comes from the books themselves. 
Most come from the other ways that I'm leveraging that. So if you take your hobby, whatever it is, it may be that you can leverage that. You could teach other people if it's beekeeping or whatever your hobby is. You know, you can do other things like some of the ones I just described here that leverage your interest in that area rather than just doing that one thing where it creates very little income for you. But yeah, just, wow, lean back into the things that you do enjoy. Trust those. Try something new as you move forward. All right, Anna says, I've been reading your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I'm about halfway through. I think the book is incredible. It's definitely given me a lot of tips that will help in my job search. I graduated from college two years ago and have been working as a mortgage loan officer since I graduated. I'm not happy with my current position. Now I'm looking for a new career. I'm really interested in human resources. I think this would be a great field for me to go into, but I'm nervous about choosing the wrong career again. 48 Days talks about finding a career that involves your interest, but to be honest, I'm not really sure what I'm interested in besides reading. How will I know what career is right for me? Do you have any advice for me? Lana, you're a great example of looking in that cave. Cal, you're intrigued by what might be in there, but you're also terrified that it might be something dangerous, something that's going to justify the fear that you have now. Well, that's just called life. You know, when you reach those reach those transition points, you have to be willing to try something new that you've not tried before. So you're, you say you're not happy with your current position, you're looking for a new career, interested in human resources. Talk to five people who are in human resources. Get an opportunity to spend a day, spend a week with somebody who's already doing that. I mean, don't just jump into a new career path without exploring and talking to people who are already doing that. I mean, that's the best way to learn about something is to talk to people who are already doing that and then decide. And again, that's not a big risk. I mean, if you're a mortgage loan officer and you decide to do something in human resources, that's fine. Find a position that does embrace that interest in human resources. If you do it for two or three years and decide you don't really enjoy it after all. But, but the thing is, you could get a position in human resources and decide that you really don't enjoy it. And it's not that you don't enjoy human resources. It's just that that particular application is not a good fit for you. I mean, you can, human resources covers a broad spectrum of opportunities, how you could be involved, different companies that you could be involved in. I mean, you could be involved in a really big company where all, all you did was just interview people, just screen people for new positions. You could be involved in a smaller company where that involved a very tiny part of your duties. And what you're really doing is looking for new benefits that the employees could enjoy. And you're a resource for them to come to when they're having trouble with a teenager or having a challenge in their marriage. And that would be a very different kind of position, both under the umbrella of human resources. So identify eight or 10 different opportunities, interview for those. I mean, companies are aggressively looking for new people right now, a great time to be looking, get out there and make that the next opportunity that you explore. <clears throat> All right, Don says, Dan, I love your work and appreciate the great advice you give out each week. My question is, should I start my own business? I work in the IT field with a small IT consulting firm that has great potential, but is only moderately successful. I'm the primary consultant besides the owner's wife, and a couple of temps. I work mostly from home, which is great. I'm paid a percentage, 50 to 60% of a billable hour, much like a contract worker is paid. 
I've been with the company for over six years and also function like a business partner with the owner. Besides technical work, I sometimes help build out new business offerings and getting new customers, but this business development work isn't billable, so I don't get paid for it. I can do this for myself and make much more money, but there are always big risk. All right. As I just mentioned in, in the previous question, one of the best ways to learn about a business is to work in that business where you essentially learn on somebody else's nickel. And that's not being a manipulative or anything like that at all. It's a very legitimate way to learn about something to see if it's something you would want to do. And if you've been there for over six years, that's a legitimate time to be looking at what is your next transition going to be into. So in terms of doing this yourself, you're now getting paid 50 to 60%. So if you're getting 50% of the income now, then theoretically it's pretty easy to see you could do half the work and still make the same money if it were totally your own. Now in doing it totally on your own, then you would be responsible for the business development, for the administrative things. You know, if you go from, let's, let's say that you're a graphic designer. We'll just use something totally different just to kind of give us a, a framework here. If you're a graphic designer and you're being paid $40 an hour and you decide to go out on your own, well, you know if you're making 50%, you can go to $80 an hour and that would be legitimate. I mean, very, very common. That's the kind of spread that a, a company would expect to have. So, you know that you can now charge $80 an hour. Can you instantly double your income? Probably not, because you don't just do the graphic design work that you're getting paid to do. As a business owner, if you move into that, then you're responsible for keeping your finances straight, filing your taxes, you know, getting permits, licenses, administrative things that have to be taken care of, I mean, you need to do a lot time for that. And if you are going into something like that where you're going to be working by the bill of an hour, if somebody's working as a coach, as an example, we help a lot of coaches get set up. We encourage them to never expect to be doing the actual coaching for more than 20 or 25 hours a week. You'll be too emotionally drained. You won't be giving your best. And you need the other time for other parts of your own business to keep them ship shape. So, but it, there's not a lot of risk if you're already doing the work and you know the market for it, you know the, ten, the prospective customers, clients that you would have, companies you would go after. But again, that takes time to establish relationships, build their trust, do bids for them on work you're going to do. So just assume that's going to be part of it. Do a business plan. You know, Don, I, I should have started with that. You know, do a business plan where you go through and look at the multiple components of an actual business and see if those are things that you already, that you do have in place. Okay. This comes, um, well, well, this comes from Tom. Dan, I'm a professional counselor. I've been working to build a private practice for the past four or five months. The practice is owned by my uncle who tasked me to build it and paid me to do so. It's a resource for his clientele of a different company. He's not a counselor. I've had a desire to own my own business for the past four or five years. Being tasked to start a practice and having to struggle through many of the challenges that come with the territory, I become, have become confident that I want to be my own boss. 
I want to respect my uncle and the investment he has made. The practice is still in its infancy, but I'm confident that in time it will become successful. Can I make the practice my own without it feeling like a betrayal? No non-compete was signed. Well, Tom, I would encourage you to talk with your uncle. Okay, so your uncle set you up in his practice. I mean, he encouraged you to do it. It's really your own. He's not a counselor, but it services the people that he has in another company. Just talk to him. He may be totally open to the idea of it being your own business, and he can just continue to use you as a helpful resource for his other company. If he did this kind of as a side thing anyway, it's not his primary focus, he may be relieved at not having to oversee it and knowing that it's just yours, but he can still use it to service his company, which is what he wanted originally. So don't anticipate this creating a disagreement. Anticipate this being a move forward that benefits both of you. That's the way that I would approach it. Now, if it comes down to it, and he says, no, absolutely not. This is my business. I mean, I can't imagine the way you've set it up here that that would be his response. But ultimately, if you haven't signed a, a non-compete, sure, you can go start your own counseling business. I mean, that's there's not a lot of barriers to entry there. If you've got the credentials for that and a reputation for doing that, certainly you can go ahead and just do that. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap it up here. But I want you to know, I've got my own caves. And frankly, at this point, I look forward to them. I mean, that anticipation of not knowing for sure what's in there but confident based on my past experience that there could be something good. I mean, I've mentioned that I've got a new book coming out and it's very, very different than anything I've done. It's not just a traditional trade book, 240 pages where you go through, there's a common theme, start to finish, and it has to do with finding a career, building your business. No, it's very different. It's very philosophical, spiritual. It's 95 short segments. It's titled An Understanding Heart. It's done differently in that it has a, a soft leather cover. It's color all the way through. There's a little eagle at the top of the page that as you turn the pages, it flies from the left of the top page over to the right-hand side. It's got a satin bookmark in it. It comes in a beautifully designed box wrapped in plastic. <laughs> you know, my, my point just being, this is not, the normal thing that publishers look for. Publishers are mortified by the things that I've required that I wanted to do for this book. So it's an unknown. You know, is it going to do well? In this new territory, it's one of those caves I'm looking into. But again, I love the anticipation that there's something good that I've not experienced before that can come out of this. And I'm pretty confident, you know, that that's where we're going to go. I mean, I'm moving into areas where I've never been before. You know, moving as we did geographically last year, just moving from Tennessee to Florida. That was a, a big move, but uh, I got excited about the anticipation of what was coming. Joanne did as well, but it was an unknown. It was one of those caves we had to look into. So if you're at a place where you are look, feel like you're looking into a cave, you know, looking back, you know what's familiar, what you've already done, but you're looking into a cave anticipate that's going to be something good that's in there. I mean, that's the big thing. So I look in those areas that cause some fear and anxiety, but I can never have anything other than what I already have, what I've already experienced, unless I look into one of those caves. Same is true for you. So if you want something other than what you 
exactly what you, what it is you have now. You have to be willing to look into that cave to go ahead and then step inside. Well, remember our quotation for today came from Shakespeare who said, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Hey, I hope you check out our resource. We're going to have a lot of fun with that starting September 6th. We have four days of just top-level content coming out of our Eagles community. You can sign up free. It's totally free. 48days.com slash peak, P-E-A-K. So check it out. Join us for that. Give us some feedback there. We're going to have a lot of fun with that and hope you enjoy it as well. Hope it helps you look into the cave. Hope it helps you identify new opportunities maybe you haven't seen before. So anticipate that. As we go into the last quarter of the year here soon, we'll be right on top of the brand new year. In the blink of an eye, this is the time to be planning for that, what that's going to look like, what new opportunities you're going to explore, what new caves you're going to walk into and shed the light in there. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. Again, my encouragement is share this episode with three of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. I mean, they'll thank you for being a resource to give them hope and encouragement. Become that person that's known for positivity, for hope, encouragement to others. They'll thank you for that. And stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.